Amen. You got your Bibles open? Mark chapter 14 is where we'll pick up as we continue on through the Passion Week. Although it was Easter last week, we are going to be in the Easter story here for a number of more weeks following as we make our way to the end of the Gospel of Mark. By the way, when we finish Mark, whenever that might be, uh, before the rapture, hopefully, we'll head on to the book of Acts, and then we'll just continue our way through the entire New Testament. So just to kind of give you a picture of where we're heading, we're in the story in Mark chapter 14, after the Lord's Supper, where Jesus predicts that Peter is going to deny him three times before the cock crows, before the cock crows twice. So we're very familiar with the story, and maybe that explains to you why I have this little guy up here. I found him at an antique store in Charlottesville a number of years ago, and I have little trinkets in my office that remind me of things. So maybe if you've been up to our office, you'll see uh, there's a, an oar hanging from our office building. And that's, I got that when I was in college. It was broken, so I was able to take it. I didn't steal it. Now, don't, I didn't steal it. But it always reminds me that as long as I'm rowing the boat, I won't have time to rock it. And it reminds me that I'm an under oarsman. I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a worker for the Lord, a servant of the Lord. So that's why the oar is there. And then in my office, I, loved, I collect sheep. So if you go anywhere, not real ones, don't do me any favors. Uh, if you go anywhere and you see a sheep, I collect sheep because they're all over my office. So I've got all sheep. But I have this little guy, and everybody comes in and says, well, that, what is that doing there? This reminds me of this story. So when I'm, it sits on my shelf, and I'm always reminded, don't get too cocky. That's true. That's what Peter's issue was, and we'll see that as we go through. When the rooster crows, uh, that was a reminder to Peter that he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. And it's a reminder to me, when things are going good, when things seem to be rolling along pretty smoothly, don't get too cocky. Don't get too comfortable, because our weakness is sometimes our strength. And we'll talk about that as we go through. So let's just read it, and then we'll look at it piece by piece. Verse 27 says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Verse 31, but, more, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Famous last words, right, folks? And they all said likewise. They all were in agreement on that. So a well-known story, interestingly, shows up in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record it. Luke gives us some details that none of the others give us, which is why I had you mark that. Luke gives us a little bit of the backstory. Don't go there yet. We'll go there later. Luke 22 tells us that after the Lord's Supper, which is what we've just read about before Easter, after the Lord's Supper, they, they sang a hymn, and then they headed back out of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives where they would spend the night. And it seems that along the way, they start an argument again. They've argued about this thing before. What is it that they're arguing about? They're arguing again about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They're still not, I mean, they've had this great Passover meal. Jesus has said, this is my body broken for you. They're, they're celebrating the deliverance out of Egypt, out of bondage. And, and these guys are still arguing among them. Matthew's arguing with Peter, and Andrew's arguing with Philip. And they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. 
And Jesus tells them, hey, is it the one who serves the table or the one who sits at the table that's the greatest? And we would say the natural thing is to say, well, the one who's being served is the greatest. I mean, there you are at the table and people are coming to serve you. Well, that must signify that you are great if other people are serving you. And actually, Jesus says, no, it's the ones that are serving that are great. They're the greatest, not the one who's being served. So he's got to teach them this again. He's taught them about him having to go away for a time. And they're all saying, well, where are you going? And can we come with you? And he tells them, where I'm going, you, you can't come now. And so Peter begins, well, I, 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 even if it's to death, I'll, I'll go with you. I, don't, I will never leave you. I'll never deny you. And that's the backdrop is this discussion of greatness. And that leads us up into the story where Jesus says, not to one of them or two of them or three of them. Now, Judas, remember, has already betrayed Jesus. So it's the remaining guys that are having the Lord's Supper together that had that together. He says to them, all of you will be made to stumble. All of you will be made to stumble. And, and that's pretty radical because these are the guys that have been with him for three years of ministry. Uh, Jesus has already predicted that, Peter, or that, excuse me, that Judas was going to betray him. So things are starting to get a little shaky. Things are starting to unravel for the group. They're starting to see that things aren't going to work out how they thought it was going to be. So the first thing that was sort of stunning to them was someone's going to betray you. What? How is that possible? I mean, we're like comrades. We're like best buddies here. We've been in ministry together for years, and I can't imagine. We can't imagine. Who is it you? Is it me? Who is it going to be? So that's the first prediction. We haven't seen. We know who it is, but we haven't seen it happen yet in the context of the story. That'll come next Sunday. Now, the second prediction was just as, as uh, stunning all of you are going to be made to stumble. The word stumble is scandalizon, which is where we get the word scandalize. It's all of you are going to be scandalized because of me. I mean, now think about someone, a, a politician or somebody you know who's caught in the middle of a scandal. Something's discovered about them. Something's uh, unearthed about them. And then nobody wants to be uh, connected to them in any way. They, they are now persona non grata. They're, they're outcasts. And you don't want to be associated with someone else who's an outcast because that sort of makes you an outcast. No, no, no. I, I don't, you, you try to deny any association with them. And so being, them being stumbled that night is sort of a radical thought because they're like, you know, hey, we're, we're with you, Jesus. And he says, actually, all of you are going to be scandalized. Well, how does Jesus know that's going to happen? Well, because he's all-knowing. Well, true, true. But he doesn't say, well, I knew this because I'm all-knowing. He says, for it is written. And then he quotes Zechariah 13, 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So how does Jesus know? He knows the scriptures that are all in accordance with his crucifixion. All the Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled in his life. One of the things that I think God wants you and I to know, that in the middle of this, it might seem that things are out of control. And through all of this, this, the events that lead up to his crucifixion, Jesus is absolutely 100% completely in control. Pontius Pilate is not in control. The Roman legions aren't in control. The, the apostles aren't in control. And you'll have to know that Satan is also not in control. Jesus is saying to them, I know this is going to happen because it's exactly what the word said would happen. I'm going to get struck, killed, and all of you, all of you, are going to scatter. 
Now, it's an interesting prophecy. I would suggest that at some point you go back and read Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, because just one side note, when, when he quotes, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, is Zechariah speaking about himself? Who is the I in that prophecy? The I is not Zechariah. The I is God. And so let me, I'll just read it to you. You can read it later for your own pleasure. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, or literally the man who is my equal, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So that's where he gets that from. And it's fascinating that there's this prediction in the Old Testament to do with the Messiah that says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. So God says, I am gonna, my sword is going to come against my own shepherd. And that's what Jesus quotes. Jesus says, that's about me. And because of that, when the shepherd, think about it just from a practical standpoint. If you're a shepherd and you've got a bunch of sheep and you're leading them, if you die in the field there somewhere, the sheep just kind of look around and go, uh, now what? Where do we go now? So they kind of, they get scattered. They're, they're easy prey and, and all the rest. So Jesus quotes that scripture. And then he adds, he doesn't continue to go on. Just that one verse there he quotes. And then verse 28 he says, but after I have been raised. So he even predicts his resurrection there. After I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And you'll see that come up again at the resurrection. Hey, you know, go to Galilee. Jesus is going to meet you there. And so the, the guys who will be scattered will be then regathered there in Galilee. And, and the church will then come soon after that. But it's one of the greatest miracles that the church actually exists. These are guys not uh, expecting the resurrection. These are not guys that would steal a body from a tomb. These are guys that got scattered because of fear, because the one they were following got arrested and tried and convicted and condemned and crucified. That's not someone who you want to be in cahoots with. These are not guys expecting the resurrection. They had scattered the fact that we sit here today in this thing called the church that should never have existed uh, exists because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are proof that Jesus rose from the dead. Otherwise, there'd have been no Pentecost. There'd have been no first sermon by Peter, the very one who here is going to deny him three times. There'd have been no 3,000 saved. There'd have been no continuing on to the church if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, hey, after I've been raised, I'll go before you to Galilee. They said, okay, whew, good, that's good news. So they, they don't ask the right question. Peter says, instead of asking about this, what, how, how can we not get scattered? I mean, how, what do you want us to do when this happens? That's what he should have asked. How do we respond? Peter instead, you know, pulls up his britches and says, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Isn't that why we love Peter. I mean, because he's so much like us. He says, Jesus, number one, you got me all wrong. You don't know me like you think you know me. I mean, those guys, I mean, you know, let's be honest, Jesus. I mean, that's not the cream of the crop like me. Those guys, I've been wondering about them. For, to tell you the truth, I've had my questions about them for a long time. I don't think they're very loyal. I don't think they really care. I don't think they're tough. I don't think they're going to stand it. But me now... Jesus, you can count on me. I am trustworthy. I am going to be with you. I'm going to be by your side to the very end. If someone has to overemphasize their loyalty, 
If someone has to overemphasize their honesty, it's probably because they're not loyal or honest. Now, I'm sure Peter was absolutely meant what he said. I'm sure he had every good intention, don't you think? Just like we do. And this is what we love about Peter, because he, like so many, overestimates his strength. He overestimates his strength. And that is your greatest weakness. When you think you are strong, then you become weak. Because you, you begin to let your guard down. Well, I don't need to put on the armor of God today. Things are going good. Well, I don't really need to read my Bible today. I, I, things are going well. And then you begin to let your guard down. See, one of the hardest things in your life, suffering has a great place in your life. Suffering keeps you close to the Lord. Things that go wrong, tough things, they keep you counting on the Lord. They keep you close to the Lord. It's when things are going good that, you, that it's easy to let your guard down and sit back and relax. And that's when you become most vulnerable to attack. Think about David and Goliath. We all know the story. Goliath, nine foot tall or however tall he was, he had just, you know, this, all this armor and he was the champion of champions among the Philistines. No one could whoop him. And he was so cocky, wasn't he? He was so confident. And then this little shepherd boy for Israel comes out. No one else is willing to face this guy. And David comes out and Goliath laughs in his face. Are you kidding me? This is your champion? This is who you're going to face off with me? This is going to be a... I can, I can fight him with one hand tied behind my back and hopping on one leg. This guy's going to be no trouble. Well, David takes out his sling and pops him in the head with a stone and down he goes. Just as fast as you can say Goliath. He's down. What happened? How did that happen? How did the big guy fall? He's overconfident. He was overconfident. What's the story in your life? When is it that you will be most vulnerable? When you are overconfident. When you say, you know what? Church, you know, I, I can, once a month is pretty good. I mean, once a month, maybe every other month would be okay for us. I don't really need that. I'm, I'm pretty strong right now. Bible reading, prayer, well, you know, I don't need. And you watch it. Be careful. Because those are the times where you are going to be most vulnerable. Because I had you mark it. We'll come back to Mark in just a second. Go over with me to Luke chapter 22. We've been reading uh, what's in the story. We talked about what's before the story. And now I'm going to tell you what's behind the story. Matthew doesn't record it. Mark doesn't record it. But Luke does. Same situation, same context in the, in the middle of this story of Jesus heading toward the crucifixion. Same story of Peter's denial. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, uses Peter's old name. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. And, and really, it's you all, but he's speaking to Simon. Simon, Satan has asked for all of you. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And then he goes on to say, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And, and, and we'll go back to Mark and read the rest of that. What do you make of this, folks? Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Did he say, Simon, Simon? Or did he say, Simon, Simon, you fool. <laughs> you know, Peter, no doubt, just sure, so sure of himself. Because he doesn't say, he says, I will, even though everyone stumbles, I will not. Jesus knows him better than he knows himself. 
But this is interesting. Satan, we saw Satan involved in Judas's life, entering Judas's heart to betray the Lord. But we see Satan very active, very active around the crucifixion. And here we see him again. I can only imagine the conversation between Jesus and Satan, whether it's taking place in his head or however that, that happens. Satan hammering on Jesus about his disciples leaving him. Well, look what happened with Judas, Jesus. He left you. Nobody's going to stand with you. Just beating him down. You ever had Satan come to you like that? Just beat you down. Everything that's going wrong in your life, Jesus, uh, Satan just takes that and he hammers you with it. He's an accuser. And that voice that you hear accusing you is not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of Satan. And Satan is asking for the authority in Peter's life to be transferred, like transferring the pick slip for a car, transferring that, the ownership from Jesus to Satan. Can I have him? Can I have him? He doesn't want him to bless him. He doesn't want him so he can, you know, do good for him. He also doesn't say, because I want to kill him. What's he want to do? What's he say? He says, I want to sift him like wheat. Now, if you're familiar with that, that word language, that word sifting is, you know, you have a big sort of piece of mesh of some sort, a filter of some kind, and you shake it back and forth with the grain in it. And the, the grain stays, the, the filters, uh, small enough to keep the, the grain of wheat there on top of it while everything else, the dirt and the rocks and things fall through it. And you sift it. And how do you do that? You do that by shaking it, shaking it. And so that's the same imagery. He wants to shake Peter out of his faith. Shake Peter down. Not just Peter, all of them. Do you think Satan has any new methodology in this day and age? you think his tactics are any different? Look, Peter is going to go on to do exactly what Jesus said. When, when, you're, when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you. Now that's comforting. Because Peter had faith. Judas didn't have any faith. Peter had faith. It was just going to be iffy there for a time. And Peter's going to be restored. And this is what we love about the story. Because Peter is the one that Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and Mark wrote this based on Peter's accounts of the things that happened. Now, I think about, you know, we, we look at Peter and say, well, you know, what a loser. He denied the Lord. I would never, and that's Peter, I would never deny the Lord. Oh, man, we do it all the time. Sometimes it's not just in word, it's in deed. So, you know, we, we like Peter because we see ourselves in him and we see that if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for us. Because Peter doesn't get just cast off by the Lord. You know, you he, they, have the, they exchange this glance as Jesus is walking out to be crucified. Peter is there warming himself by the fire. And Jesus just looks at him. And I can't imagine what the look would have been. But Peter just begins to weep bitterly. And he knows he's blown it. And you know that place where, you, where you, you've done it and you get there and you're, ah, I am such a loser. I can't believe I did that again. The Lord put someone on my heart to talk to, and then I didn't do it, or I said, you know, I caved in. Someone talked to me, and I had an opportunity, and I just caved in. Have you been there? Have we done that? I mean, I have. Maybe I'll just speak for myself. You guys are all walking strong. I'm the weakling in the bunch. I've done it. I'm on an elevator. I'm in a restaurant. Or I'm somewhere, and the Lord's like, there's like, I know I'm supposed to talk to that person. I know I'm supposed to, and I'm like rationalizing with the Lord, but they don't know me. Like, they're going to think I'm an idiot. Well, that happens sometimes. You're an idiot anyway. But we, we cave in 
and we cower. And so the question is, well, what, you know, is the Lord done with me? Is my, you know, am I, am I useless now for the Lord? And so we're thankful that we see this compassion. Jesus says, Peter, I'm praying for you. And even Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit of God intercedes for us. What would our lives be like if the Spirit of God was not interceding with God on our behalf? Who knows the things that God is doing, that Jesus is doing in prayer for you, interceding with the Father on your behalf? You think it was you. You think it's your prayer life. You think it's your Bible reading. You think it's your, you know, your service in the, in the church. But Jesus is praying for you, interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. If we could only see behind the scenes, we would be so humbled. Because we thought it was all our strength. We thought it was all our doing. And meanwhile, there's Jesus interceding for us. And he intercedes for Peter and he says, here's what I'm interceding for. Here's what I'm praying for, that your faith doesn't fail. And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that for people I know. That they walk away from the Lord, they deny him for a time. And I say, oh Lord, I pray that their faith wouldn't fail. And when they return, they'd share their testimony. They'd encourage people. And by the way, that's what Peter does. First Peter, chapter 5, he says, I think it's chapter 5, he says to the people, he says to the congregation, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. You think he just made that up? Or you think he writes that from firsthand experience, knowing what it's like for Satan to prowl around asking for him by name to sift him as wheat. He says the same thing's true for you guys. Look, you have an enemy His name is Satan, and his only cause for your life is to sift you away from faith, away from God. And he's willing to let you have a lot of fun in the world, willing to let you have money and a house and and stuff and vacations. All that. Do all that you want. Just don't worship the Lord. Just don't worship the Lord. Just go back to sleep. He's willing to let you have all that stuff. And he also says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, Church, you need to add to your faith. And he goes through that passage. Add to your faith moral purity and to moral purity. And he goes on down the line. And he says, if you do these things, if you're adding to your faith, what will be true of you? You'll have fruit and you'll never stumble. And I imagine Peter going, yeah, I remember when I was cocky and confident, overconfident in myself, and I fell hard. And I don't want to see you have to go through that. If you keep adding to your faith, you'll never fall away. You're you're never stagnant in your life. You are never stagnant in your life. And if you don't use it, you will lose it. Maybe you made a New Year's resolution to go to the gym. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you got tired of New Year's resolutions. But maybe you did, and you went to the gym for a month. And Well, now it's March. Maybe you went for two months, and you started to see some progress. But then life happened. Work got busy. You know, the kids needed this. Soccer season started. Baseball season happened. Whatever it is, and you just couldn't get there as much. Well, what happens to all the progress you made physically those two months once you stop going for a certain period of time? What happens? It it all disappears. You're back to square one again. You've lost it all. Because you're never actually stagnant. You're always either making gains or maintaining. It takes work to maintain. Or you're falling away or you're losing. And it's the same. That's a parallel to your spiritual life. And Peter says, if you're not adding to your faith, if you're not working in that area, then you will be falling backwards. And the danger of, of moving backwards is that you'll stumble. And people, when, when the shepherd stumbles, I can't afford to take a vacation from my Christian faith. Because if, if I get caught in some kind of sin, 
We've seen pastors get fall into adultery. If, if I get caught in adultery or something happens, then everybody begins to question. The flock begins to question, well, what, what were we really going through there? What, who was this guy anyway? And people's faith gets challenged. And I think you can't t- afford to take a vacation because you've got children and you've got family members and they're watching you. And when you stumble, other people start to point at God. And I don't, I don't want to get weak in my faith. So I have to, it's, a, it's a not a, a thing we do in seasons and for times. And it's a chance. We do, we do stumble sometimes. We do fall, but we can get back up. The only failure is not getting back up. That's failure. So back with me to Mark, and, and we'll take communion in just a minute here. Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter, you're not going to deny me just once or twice. In fact, you're going whole hog, Peter. You're going to deny me three full times, three opportunities you're going to have. You would have thought the first one, he just said, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm going to be stronger next time. And then the second opportunity comes, and again he denies. And then the third time, he even curses and says, I don't even know that guy. Imagine how, how you would feel if, if one of your best friends in a conversation with someone else, denied even knowing you. I mean, maybe you went through something hard. Maybe you've done something that, that's, uh, maybe that uh, people would look down on. But those friends in our lives are the ones who stick with us through things. And here are those that were closest to Jesus. Peter being one of the closest of the close. He was part of that inner circle. And he tells, when, it, when his opportunity is to stand with him, instead of being strong as he thought, he says, I don't even know him. Oh, I talk about a piercing. I know that would pierce me. So Jesus, you, you got it all wrong, he says. And Jesus says, no, I don't. And then G- Peter speaks more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. By the way, the word deny comes up in a number of places, one other context. And that context is, if you want to be one of my disciples, Jesus said, you have to deny yourself. It means to to disavow a relationship with a person. To say, I don't know you. I'm not connected to you. We have no relationship. So in that context, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to deny who? Deny yourself. Steve? Who is that guy? I don't know him. I don't know Steve. Take up my cross. Follow him daily. Steve Fedden? Ah, he died a long time ago. I don't even know who that guy is anymore. I certainly know. That guy is no longer alive. He's not me. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. It's the same word to disavow or to deny a relationship with someone. And that's the word used here. You're going to deny me. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll never deny you. So I don't know where you are in this story and if you connect with Peter or not. I'm thankful for the baptism with the Holy Spirit because this is the same Peter who's not only recommissioned but preaches one of the most powerful sermons in history, after having been filled with the Spirit. Because the the filling, the baptism with the Spirit of God does what for you, according to the Bible? Gives you boldness. And that's what we need. The world is waiting to see if we really believe what we say we believe. I mean, if people are really, if hell is real, and people are really going there, if there's really a narrow way, and there's really a wide way that a lot of people go down, then the question is, why aren't you telling anybody? I mean, if you really believe that, why do we clam up? We'll talk about baseball. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about 
shopping or YouTube or a movie we saw or a book we read. But when it comes to Jesus, we just, we just clam up. And, and I'd, I'd pray for this in my own life. Look, I'm, I'm not preaching at you guys. I'm preaching to myself. One of my biggest prayers is I just want to have that boldness that will allow me to approach people and not worry about what they think of me and not worry about how they're going to react to me. We have to become fools for Christ. There's just no other way, is there? Because the, God, the message we have is foolishness to the world. It's life to those who believe it, but it's foolishness to those who are dying. And until we come to grips with that, until I come to grips with that, then we're, we're never going to have that boldness that, that we should and could have. And again, not to be condemning, just to be inviting. We're going to come and share communion. I'm going to invite uh, Jason and, and Beth up here. Uh, they're going to share a song with you guys as we come to the table. Here's what we're going to do as they come forward. Uh, they're going to sing, and I want you to just listen to the words that they're singing. And uh, just, you know, you've got some quiet time with the Lord. The big thing you need in your life, the big thing I need in my life, is not more television or computer or movies. The big thing I continue to need in my life is quiet time. Anybody else with me? Quiet time. So whatever the Lord is doing from this passage, if you find yourself in that lukewarm place, here we are at the crucifixion, just remembering what Christ did for you. And a chance to say, do I deny him with my life? Do, do people look at me and say, that guy clearly loves the Lord? As we always say, if, if you were ever accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there fruit in your life? Do you believe and that leads you to speak? And it, look, if the answer to that is no, I don't have fruit in my life, then you can right now confess those things to the Lord. You can confess your, your lukewarm life. You can confess that you've been playing the game. You've been coming to church, but not really. Once you leave here, it's like, okay, I've done my thing, and now my life is my own again. Being a Christian, is it, there's no day off. It's 24. It's who you are, not what you do. You can't take a break from your identity. And if your identity is in Christ, that's who you are all the time all the time, in every situation. So as they sing, um, after they're done, you will just make your way down to the tables. The elders will come up and we'll serve communion here. We have gluten-free communion. If you need that, you can just ask for the gluten-free wafer. And if you need prayer, then uh, I'll, be, I'll be actually at this table. Feel free to come or pray with any one of the elders here uh, because we want to see you live in all the fullness that God has for you. No, no middle-of-the-road type of Christian life. No sort of half-hearted deal. Uh, I want you to experience all that God has for you. And I want to experience all that God has for me. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not through a, re a religious routine. You'll never get it through a religious routine. And this, these tables are about a relationship. You take Christ into you. His body nourishing you. His blood, life for your life. There's no life outside of Christ. You can try any way you want. There's no life outside of Christ. Am I right or wrong? And this is what we see people struggle with. They try to find life in their job or life in their recreation or life in their addiction. And there's no, you can't attach. Let me just say this last thing and then we got to have communion. Um, as you saw Easter Sunday, you will define, your identity will be formed by what you attach yourself to. 
and maybe it's football, and you got all the stuff, you got the hat, the, the shirts, everything, and your, your identity is attached to that, because that's what will make you who you are. And our identities are fickle, and they want to be attached to something. If you form your identity by connecting yourself to something or someone else, and no other source, there is no other fountain for life other than a connection to Jesus Christ. Everything else, you will suck and suck and suck, and it will never satisfy. It will never make you what you are meant to be. You will find it always runs dry and leaves you empty in the process. So I want to encourage you, not in a religious routine, but in a connection, a real-life connection with Jesus Christ, and it's symbolized here in the communion. Amen? Amen.